welcome to the Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and today's episode is the first of a series that we will release over the next 12 months, interviewing the authors of InterVarsity Press's Enneagram Daily Reflections. Some voices will be new on the show, and others you've heard here before, such as Enneagram 5, Morgan Harper Nichols, Enneagram 3, Sean Palmer, and today's guest, Enneagram 2, Hunter Mobley. Hunter leads the LTM Contemplative Cohort here in Dallas with the Reverend. He teaches Enneagram all around the country, and you can find him online at Enneagram Hunter, which is absolutely one of the coolest social media handles. October 16th and 17th, online, Enneagram Stances with the Godmother. Teaching both nights is going to be from 5 to 9 Central Time, and stick around afterwards for a little Enneagram After Dark. Uh, that will be after the teaching and just a little unstructured Q&A and having some fun. Registration gives you access to rewatch the teaching throughout the month of October. You'll find the link for the event and registration on the banner of all three of our websites, SuzanneStabile.com, TheAnnieGramJourney.org, and LifeInTheTrinityMinistry.com. I'll also be wearing my sweet new Vote Micah 6-8 shirt, which you can find in the LTM store. I hope we get to see you online soon. And now I'll send it to my man, Hunter and Suzanne. Snuck up on me. So this has been exciting to like hold it and get ready for it. You know? It's so beautiful, isn't they, it? They did a great job, yes. Oh they, my gosh. Really I think did. it's so beautiful. I do too. I'm so happy that it just, it's elegant looking and just, it's beautiful. The design is really beautiful. I think so too. And I think the inside's pretty darn good, too. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. Yeah. I thought that we knew one another so well that reading your 40 days uh, would be kind of predictable, and I, I would kind of know that about you. And um, I thought at one point, I- I'm so glad it's Hunter. And I wonder if I would have been more challenged by another two that I don't know so well. Yeah. You challenged the socks off of me. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, is, it, is it awesome? I think it was. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> you challenge me. <laughs> All your writing and recording. It, it was um, so interesting. So as the editor for the series, I was all in, right? Like I, I thought this is going to be so great. And I had this abstract idea of what it was going to be like for people to get to read a 40 day spiritual journey of somebody, their number. Right. And you know, my only experience was that was the 42 books of Henry Nowen. Oh, yeah. Right? So 40 days to me seemed like a piece of cake, right? Right. Oh, my gosh. It was so special and challenging and affirming and tender. And I hope every number has the same experience. That's my hope. Thank you. So let's talk about you for a bit. Um, Talk about... Kind of preparing for this, like uh, there would be a lot of ways to do that. Did you go back to old journals? Did you, after you found out that IVP wanted you to do one of the nine, did you 
kind of try to be holy for 40 days and then <laughs> journal on those 40? Um, you know, uh, how, what was your process? I love that. So the, the first thing for me that was really cool was I kind of had a Quaker way will open moment where um, I had wrapped up a six year pastorate at a church on November 1st last year. And I was kind of starting a new journey with work January 1st. And so I had, I'd blocked off November and December to work on a book. And I thought it was going to be, you know, my latest, greatest idea book. (laughs) So I was just that I'd gotten my room set up. I'd gotten everything prepared. And um, just a couple of days before November 1st, IVP Cindy Bunch calls me and kind of pitches this idea. And so it was just really wonderful and perfect that I had already reserved these two dedicated months to kind of not really do anything except write. And so that was the first just kind of beautiful way will open moment that, that really made me not have to do too much deep discernment when Cindy called because I just kind of set that time aside and was ready. And so then when I was trying to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you do 40 days worth of work? How does it have a flow? How does it have an arc? How is it meaningful? I did go back to journals. I had probably six months before I started writing For the very first time in my life, Suzanne, I put on my living room floor every journal that I've ever written in since I started journaling when I was 16. And, you know, and off and on, you know how we journal, but I had journals from age 16 to now. I'm 35. And I went through all those journals and, and kind of journaled through the journals, you know, pulled out some themes, pulled out the recurring elements. What I was really looking for Um, is really kind of a spiritual exercise and really developing kind of a rule of life, just trying to see what are the Mm -hmm. things that have been consistent and foundational for the last 16, 18 years. Um, But that, that really was some good building blocks to this work for the book, because I had begun to pull out just some things about myself, some, some new ways that I was noticing myself inhabiting my personality, even before I knew the Enneagram and had that language. Of course, just when you write about yourself, you're writing about your two-ness, even though I didn't have that, that language to use. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. Pulled out old journals. And, you know, the other, the, the other thing I'd say is, um, and just what was such a blessing about writing this book, is that I had written in the devotional style before. Um, I had partnered with a a man that I pastored with, Dan Scott, and we had written a book about the Apostles' Creed, 365 days kind of through the Apostles' Creed. And so that was just in a way my practice for the devotional style, which which is its own kind of animal, I learned. Um, Just writing in that where each day can stand alone and also fit into a whole. Um, So it was really, it, it was really a gift to be able to have those those months and really get a lot in those two months of just the main content down. And then of course, for the months intervening, having to move things and change things and tweak things and all the good, all the good stuff you realize when you get your first set of ideas down, sometimes those ideas aren't, aren't really ready for the public. (laughs) Exactly. Especially for you and me. So one of the things I want to say is everybody I think knows that we're 
good friends and that we work together. I also think people have no idea what my process is for podcasts. Okay. So um, people are going to assume that I ask you the question about how did you do this? Did you use old journals? Because you fed me that question. (laughs) Right, I didn't though. And you didn't, and I had no idea. Yeah. And it's such an abundant answer. So before I leave that part of what you've shared, I want to talk about that just because I get to, right? So um, I think as twos, we're suited to journaling. My early journals actually are... uh, filled with things that I learned or read that I thought would help other people. They didn't have anything to do with my journey. Right. Right. Did you find any of that? In your... Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I found a lot of my early journaling is almost like prayer journaling that you could hear. It's like I, I anticipated someone was going to read it one day or something. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Or I, I, this is how I'll help this person or right. this person. Right. So I'm... Um, Excited to know that that was your process, and I want everybody to know that I didn't know that. Yeah. Before we move on, what is a word you would say to people about the value of journaling? Oh, man. So what I would say, here's what I'm learning right now about journaling. There are seasons where I have not journaled because I have kind of set the task as too large and too big where I just didn't feel like I had time every day to sit down and write a page or two pages. So one of the things that I'm learning in my life that's been really meaningful is I, for the last two or three years, I kept a journal that just has one prompt and it says, from this day, I remember. And, and I try to do it at the end of the day. And some days I write a phrase, you know, dinner with Suzanne. And some days I write a page and, you know, dinner with Suzanne, (laughs) dinner with Suzanne. And here's (laughs) what we talked about. And here's what I prompted me to think. And, and, and so what I'm learning about journaling is, is if you can just find some entry point that may even just be as small as from this day, I remember one sentence. What's the thing that in your review of the day in, in kind of your mini examine, What's the thing that just sits with you that you're holding from that day? And it may be, I was sad. I was angry most of the day. Um, and that is the starting place for me now. And when I have the headspace and just the emotional space to have paragraphs and paragraphs, that's wonderful. A lot of days now, it's about a feeling that I had that day or one conversation or one just thing that inspired me. And, and the other thing that I'll say that I, I'm learning is, and Parker Palmer taught me this. I mean, Parker Palmer, I feel like, is such a great teacher, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though I've never met him. He's, he teaches me so much through his writing. And he talks about when you journal, similar to what you said, Suzanne, you don't journal other people's ideas. You journal what it, what it germinates in you, what it right. teaches you, what your insight is from that. When you take notes, even when you go hear a speaker speak or teach, if you go to an Enneagram seminar, it's not just about getting the content down. It's actually the more important thing is to journal the, the interior reflection that right. the content prompts in you. And so that's a way that I'm, 
I'm learning to allow my story to come through in the journaling, my feelings, my heartbreak or joy. Um, because a lot of times I, I felt like earlier in life journaling needed to kind of be really well crafted and put together and make sense. To somebody um, besides us. To somebody besides yeah. us. Yeah. I don't yeah. know who that somebody was ever going to be. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah, me either. I don't know why I thought that, except that we're so other referenced. I bet we thought it because we're so other referenced, yeah. right? Yeah. And I guess that's the reason I was in a space of um, thinking that I, sh- I should write down what's helpful right, for other people in so much of my journaling. Um, early on, day 12, You write this. I love Mr. Rogers. When the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor was released in 2018, I took my entire church staff to the theater to watch it. In 2019, I returned to the theater to watch Tom Hanks play Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Toward the end of the movie, Rogers is at the bedside of a man who's dying. The man is in his last days of life, but the family gathered round his bedside isn't ready to admit that death is close. Rogers, realizing that the family wasn't prepared to name the inevitable, shared the wisdom, what can be mentioned can be managed. I'd love to hear you talk about that. I still can feel myself hearing that in the theater because it just resonated with me so deeply. And... I, it means so much to me, but, but what it meant to me in that moment and still means is I have wrestled my whole life with feeling like it was not okay or safe or welcome to mention big things and little things about myself or my needs or my goals, you know, big truths about who I really am foundationally, and also just little moments of being sad that day. I always felt like I needed to be okay or always felt like I needed to be up. And so I, I now, that's one of my mantras that I've added to my thoughts in my life is what is mentionable is manageable. And, and now that's my actual like evangelism for the whole Enneagram too, is, is just saying to people, if we can get a language to, to just mention and name who we really are at the core of our personalities, somehow our personalities don't have to have the power over us that they used to have. And I'm trying to learn that for myself too. If I can just mention, you know, my anger or my loneliness or my sadness or whatever I'm feeling, that somehow in mentioning it and speaking it into the world and, and speaking it to someone who I love and am safe with and trust, it just takes the edge off of it in some way. All of a sudden, it can kind of be, be managed in some way. I think we all, I think, I think part of the human condition is we, we spend so much of our lives not mentioning things and tiptoeing around things and walking on eggshells. And we somehow think that's actually making us and everybody okay. But we're all dying a little bit inside whenever we do that, because we all have that underlying knowledge that, well, if only this was mentioned then, 
or if only I really was honest about this, then maybe. And, you know, I just love that wisdom from the movie. What is mentionable is manageable. What can be mentioned can be managed. It's true for me on a, on a micro scale. And I think it's true for everybody on the macro scale of the whole Enneagram. In a way, that's what the whole Enneagram experiment is about. Yeah, and isn't it interesting to think about wondering what would be the unmentionables for what number? Yeah. Because for you and me, the thing that you don't mention is need. Oh, absolutely. And and I've gone, one thing that I still wrestle with every day is, you know, there's lots of places where my evolution is incomplete and this is mm-hmm. a big place. And it's like, because I've spent a lifetime under mentioning and under acknowledging my own needs and my own feelings, I don't have a good gauge for when I'm too much or too little. So it's like when someone really says, no, I really want to know, you know, tell me, I'm really interested. And if I give them, you know, okay, well, here it is. And here's the good, bad, and the ugly of it. And I give it all to them, you know, really honestly express needs, honestly express feelings. I leave that conversation and I'm unsure if that was too much or it was okay or not enough. It's like, I don't, I'm unpracticed at even knowing um, when I'm too much and when I'm too little and when I'm just right. (laughs) Do you you resonate with that? Absolutely. I resonate with that. And I cannot tie it to times when people of my number or other numbers were too much for me. So it's not like I can go out and learn because of how I experience hearing unmentionables from other people. Because right. I don't ever experience that as too much. Yeah. Right. right? So, Absolutely. So how do we practice? So one of the, this is only day 12. And one of the things that I want to um, talk with you about is how we can encourage people to buy not for the sake of sales, but for the sake of the world, and read and live into the journaling prompts that aren't our number. Right. And this is a perfect example of a question that is appropriate for every human being I know, which for people who don't know, at the end of each day's entry, there's a little opportunity for you to do a thing, right? And it is on day 12 in your book, what are your feelings and needs that can't be mentioned? And even if they're written down, it's a gift. It's a gift. So um, I commend you on knowing the right question to ask of every number and I um, tip my hat in terms of two-ness to the bravery of looking at, should I be mentioning the things that I don't mention? Yeah. I suspect we should. I do too. And, and I think the loop that I always have to get over is almost every time there's that kind of expression of vulnerability through mentioning something tender and deep. My first instinct is, ooh, I bet that was a lot. 
<laughs> I bet that might have been too much. And, and that's part of my work is moving from that first thought to the second thought, which mm-hmm. can be that person asked me to be honest and tender and vulnerable. And everybody else, I, I, would, I would extend that same listening ear and empathetic heart mm-hmm. to another person. You know, so and that's, there, there's so much tuness of repressed thinking and right. shame as a core emotion, but it's always like, I've got to always get from the first thought, pivot to the second thought. And hopefully the second thought is better and <laughs> is more productive. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I had eleven others to choose from before I got to that one. I, I think it's really, really quite something. So, uh, the actually the next entry that I want to talk about is day thirteen, and that's because it's a day that we spent together. So it says, I recently traveled to Kalamazoo, Michigan, with my friend Suzanne Stabile for an Enneagram event that she was hosting at the Fetzer Institute. While Suzanne and I were in Kalamazoo, we met Sister Betsy, a nun from the Congregation of St. Joseph, since her best Sister Betsy is one of the most winsome, delightful people I've ever met. Suzanne and I were instantly drawn to her engaging smile, her earthy humor, and her tender heart. Our last day in Kalamazoo, Suzanne and I wanted to spend time with Sister Betsy. We asked for a tour of her convent, Nazareth House, a beautiful, sprawling structure that was slated for demolition a few months later. The Order of Nuns at St. Joseph had so diminished that there were no resources to keep up the grand center build built for a bygone era. Now, I want to talk to you about why I love that entry and why I love it as part of a group of nine ways of seeing the world. And then I want to ask you some questions. The reason I love the entry is because so many things are changing. And that was true before the pandemic. But so many things are changing. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what Sister Betsy taught us that day is how to let go of things. I'm going to skip a bit, and then I'm picking up with, uh, it says... Nuns who told us that they didn't resent the upcoming demolition of their home and way of life, but instead were looking forward to taking up a smaller carbon footprint. I am still in awe of that reality of our experience that day. Me too. It still teaches me. I think it will teach me till I die. And the reason I think that is because they are palms up. They are waiting to receive what's next and to be used in whatever way God can use them. And I think spending 40 days in reflection is the posture of palms up. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think the the beautiful thing about 40 days is it is mirroring some of the 40 days journeys that we read about in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. And in each of them, what you undergo in those 40 days brings you to a new place. It doesn't return you to the old. 
And that's the, that's the spiritual work that in a way, all of this Enneagram work, contemplative spiritual living, all the things we talk about, it's all about doing work that brings you, that moves you. And it, and, and it, it is a palms up open handedness that ultimately moves you and takes us from one place to another. I mean, in, as a pastor, you know, when you preach and teach about resurrection, the whole idea about resurrection is that resurrection is not a regurgitation of an old thing. It's actually a flowering and a blossoming of a new thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Sister Betsy and her whole order of nuns, I was just actually corresponding with her in the last week because I wanted to get her a, a copy of this book. And um, there was just still that open-handedness to what's next, what's coming, what is God doing, and, and how can I be present to that? And not, you know, when we, when we grasp and clench our fist and try to hold on to what we've had and what was, which is usually so good. I mean, we love it. We all have our version of the good old days and the good old things and the good old songs we like to sing and all that. But when we close our hands to it, we lose the ability to receive the new. Yeah, that was a beautiful. And, and it, you know, I, I just thought one of the things that I write about in that entry, Suzanne, is about in all through Nazareth House, there was this depiction of a peacock with its feathers down. And the <laughs> funny thing is the irony for me as a, as a two who carries the passion of pride is I said, I don't even know what that bird is. What is a peacock with its feathers down doing? A peacock's supposed to have its feathers up. <laughs> and, and so it was ironic that I didn't even recognize that image for a classical spiritual image for humility. The peacock with the feathers up, of course, is a, is a, is a pride depiction, but the peacock with the feathers down is humility. And it is amazing how that place, which in its art and architecture had been representative of humility for decades and generations, had been slowly forming this community to make changes that they never knew they were going to have to make no. and, and may have never wanted to make, but, but those little elements in the architecture were forming them for them. And it's like, you know, I, I now have a peacock with its feathers down in my entry hall in my house because I need totems and little elements of art and architecture around me to slowly form me, you know, in, right. in imperceptible ways that, just on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday as I pass by, don't even think about it. My prayer is that some way it's forming. Sure. So one of the reasons I wanted to uh, share this story is because I want to talk to Tunis and I want to talk to the gentle way in which reading somebody else's journey allows us to take a turn in our own. But I want to point it out. So people who aren't accustomed to this kind of journey know kind of what might happen. So this is the perfect story for me to use to try to do that. So you and I are, um, we've been in a classroom kind of situation with two very different groups of people. And uh, we're with the sisters and, you know, 
Betsy was just somebody you would take home if you could. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be. It was like you know. I kept thinking she would be so great in LTM, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I'm not sure about your motives. I unfortunately am very clear on mine. And I think it would be a two thing for us to do uh, together. And that would be to give her an opportunity to show us their space before it was torn down. Like, uh, we're going to do this nice thing for you. Right. And ask you to show us right. this space because we're twos. And yeah. that's the kind of thing that we know to do. Right. We're going to honor you yeah. and all yeah. in your yeah. work. Yes. Yeah. And I remember the two of us getting in the car and we were blown away by how deeply we had been taught, ministered to. It was like, what just happened? It was. It was. And I think that this whole story is uh, an opportunity for people to work through uh, this whole series and uh, for twos to embrace this work from your heart. And my hope is that at the end of each of the 40 days, people will say, what just happened? Absolutely. Right? Because you get in touch with things you don't know in 40 days, and you can't do it in two. You're right. And, and the beautiful thing about a 40-day journey is if, if readers will take that whole time, you know, you can read these books in a couple of hours, and that's wonderful, and there's a lot to, to gain from that. And there's also a lot from a slow walk through someone's journey and through the journey of a number because it just it builds and accumulates. Um, and, and I do, I, I love getting to, I love reading memoir. <laughs> I love yeah, going of to course. people's you know, of I, course. I, I love that ability, you know, when you have some way of accessing another person through their writing or through their home or through their work, you know, just being able to observe that you just get to know them so much, so much deeper. And I think there's an invitation for all the numbers in this work to come up and sit beside somebody for a minute, look inside their house for a moment, look inside their, their heart for a moment and hear hear the Enneagram through each number's lens. I, I, that's what I'm so excited. I can't wait to read all. I haven't gotten to read all of them yet. I, I can't wait till they all get released. And I, I get them because we just have so few opportunities to hear everybody's number be articulated in their voice. Your podcast is one of the best. I mean, that's, that's part of the value of the podcast is Yes, we all need great Enneagram content and teaching, but getting to hear people just the turns of phrases that they use mm -hmm. or their pacing or their energy, you know, just getting to hear that teaches so much too about the numbers. It does, doesn't it? And I think, um, you know, I, I, I have to say as the series editor and at 70, I would have it set up so that you can't turn 
to a new day until you've done that day. <laughs> and it has to have been 24 hours. Right, like that, right. right? I want, you know, the language you use here at the Micah Center is I want you to wear it out. And I want people to give themselves enough time to make these entries their own. There's and almost, there's almost a Lectio Divina kind of idea where there's a style of Bible reading where you, and you know, it's, it's really a very popular in kind of Ignatian circles where you read a passage of scripture and you stop the moment that your heart is pricked or your mind is poked. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all you have for the day. And you just sit there for the day. You stop. Even doesn't matter if you were two words in and you had intended to read a chapter. And that's, I think there's an invitation always in devotional reading to just say, this is, this is the small amount for the day. And, and how can I kind of turn it over in my mind and my heart and my body through the day? Agreed. And I think with uh, the series and with this kind of um, opportunity, I think people who pick up a devotional expect it to stir something. What I have found in my opportunity to read through the manuscripts is that what you think it has for you may not show itself at the get-go. Right? Like, you know, when there's a, the, the United Methodist Church used to have a publication, I don't know if it still does, called The Upper Room. And there was a scripture reading and then a prayer and then a little paragraph. Right, right. Well, I used to figure out what I was supposed to get from the scripture reading. Right. right. In your work, in this opportunity, you don't know what you're supposed to get till you do the work at the end of the day's reflection. Right. And I think that teaches palms up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much of the palms up posture, as, as you teach about, as, as Joe teaches, as we all teach at the Micah Center, is about being willing to let go of bulk and let go of what's accumulated so that what is truer and purer and deeper can actually emerge. And, and that is a hope that I have through, through the kind of opportunities at the end of each day, that it will be kind of a decluttering moment for people to just get to some core work. Well, that's a perfect segue for what I want to talk about next, because I want to talk about day 17. Okay. Because there's stuff here to get rid of in day 17. Here's what you say. I have lots of shower fights, so immediately I'm convicted. Like I do too, (laughs) but I'm a girl. So I get to keep having the fight while I do my hair and while I put on my makeup. Like I'm a morning room routine fighter, right? (laughs) Right. And then you say not actual fights with other human beings, but imaginary fights that occur in frantic dialogue in my mind while I shower. I often hear from other twos that they also have shower fights or fights in their minds when their heads hit the pillow at night or fights in their minds as they drive to work. When I'm alone in a quiet space like the shower, bed, or car, 
my mind begins racing with recollections of hurts from the day and things that I wish I'd been able to say to people but never said. I give some great speeches in the shower and tell people off with the pithiest acerbic wit. I wish you could hear me. In these moments, I finally notice my anger. So that's pure gold. I, that's gold because in all of the buildup to that, we don't know that we're angry because we don't allow ourselves to be. We allow ourselves to be hurt, but not angry. Right. And then you follow with uh, three questions. I'm only going to share one, and it is, is your anger bubbling up in circumstances that surprise you? (laughs) Now, I figure that's going to sell the book or keep it from selling. (laughs) So if you're worried that's going to keep it from selling, you need to sell it. So what you got about this anger thing in twos? Uh, You know, I find for myself, and I I think this is true of a lot of twos, that the first impulse to anger is to push down or to reframe, to turn it onto ourselves. Um, And and in a lot of ways, we're not all that different from ones and nines sometimes in our kind of expression of anger. There's this idea that anger is not great and we probably shouldn't have it. And it's probably threatening to a relationship if it gets expressed or out in some way. So similar to ones and nines, we have all this anger that just builds. And the tricky thing is for us as twos, because shame is the core emotion, not anger. It gets retranslated and forgotten about a little bit quicker than it does for other numbers like ones and nines. And so it feels like it's gone. I mean, I've had moments, I've had so many moments in in therapy and just even in conversations with friends where I've said and meant it, gosh, I actually don't think I'm ever angry. Only to five hours later, be having a version of one of these shower fights. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost, it's because for me, I can lose so much touch with emotions, with my own core emotions that I disassociate from anger until it just traps me and until it surprises me. Mm-hmm. And then after I've, after I've felt it or experienced it or something, um, a lot of times I taught myself out of it because it would be threatening to a relationship or threatening to some kind of person that I love to express it. Mm-hmm. And the invitation I'm finding for me always is to, you know, if I detach from my emotions in real time, one of those core emotions that I'm detaching from is anger. And it's always going to come out sideways in some unhelpful way. And Mm -hmm. whether that's through resentment, whether that's through, uh, then it gets spewed or expressed in some Mm -hmm. misdirected way to a person that it doesn't even belong to. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's one of those tricky, hard things for me Um, because I don't intuitively identify with anger until I just notice it pop up. Yeah. I don't either. And I call it hurt. Yeah. You know, I've renamed it so that I don't have to own it. And then I get to say to people I'm angry with, 
I'm not angry. I'm hurt. Right. right. And, and I think I use the language of sadness. Uh, exactly. In that same yes. way. Right. And so one of the things that we could say then, um, I'll give a lead in and you take it, is when we do devotional work, we have to go past, I call it hurt, you call it sadness. Because just, I, I don't even know how many words, but two pages of a not large book can take you to a place inside yourself that you are unable to pull up and work with because it's Lent or because it's... um right. right. It is an interesting tip of our hats back to all the 40-day practices that we as Christians were offered an opportunity to learn from. Absolutely. So talk about an overall idea of what you wanted to, to glean from your work with these 40 days that you chose to share from your life experience. Well, you know, one of the first things I'm going to say is probably a very two thing to say, but it, it's true for me, is one of my goals is for twos to experience a sense of companionship and company on the journey. Yep. Um, because I have so benefited from the Enneagram's wisdom that there are other people that, that walk a similar journey to me. It's different in lots of ways, but we carry some similarities, particularly in how we process and receive and give. And so I hope that twos feel affirmed. I mean, the first thing is this is a book because this is a book about affirmation, not primarily a book about here are all your problems and let's get them fixed in 40 Mm -mm. days. This Mm -mm. is not a self-help get, you know, at the end of this 40 days, you've, you know, lost that 20 pounds, you know, you've, Mm -hmm. it's the new you. No, this is a book to laugh at ourselves and to kind of smile and, and, and realize, oh gosh, you know, yeah, here's where we fall down, but also to realize all the places that we shine. I want twos to feel affirmed in this. I want twos to feel a sense of the beauty that they have to offer the world um, and in a safe way to see the ways that we stumble. That's part of the, part of the wisdom. I know Suzanne, mm-hmm. of your teaching is you always talk about the Enneagram as something that reveals to us that the worst part is the best part and the best part is the worst part. And I think if twos will come to this work and hold their hands open to know everything's both and <laughs> nothing's either, or this is non-dualistic, both and work where we can reflect on in a, in a beautiful, safe, winsome way, hopefully the idea that the best part of us is the worst part and the worst part is the best part. And so through the journey of transformation, my hope is that twos will feel affirmed. They will feel the company of other two of at least one other two of me Mm -hmm, who's mm -hmm. on this journey with them and that they will allow some of the bulk of two personality to kind of release and fall away a little bit so that your own needs, your own feelings, your own dreams, 
your own vulnerabilities can begin to emerge a little bit more. I love all that. And part of my experience in reading uh, about twos was I was kind of early on going, me too. Oh, me too. Oh, I do that too. But what then, then what happens after the 40 days, if you are willing to kind of give yourself to it, is an awareness that you've learned about yourself, even if you don't remember the story in the 40 days that led you there. Absolutely. And, and that maybe there is, you know, what, what maybe someone would remember from the 40 days from, from my book on twos and from all the books on all the numbers is maybe in those opportunities from each day, maybe there is one question, maybe there is one practice, maybe there is one journaling activity that for some reason it just kind of hit you, it stuck with you, it, it struck a chord. And maybe that's what lives beyond the 40 days as well. Well, it, and it's also like uh, there's not a, there, there would never be um a group discussion of every of eight twos who did the 40 days that ended with what did you learn? It wouldn't be what did you learn? It would be what do you now know? And you don't get that from things that are academic in nature. It's because it's a different kind of knowing. And it's a knowing about yourself. It's not... It's not what right. you now know about twos or Hunter Mobley. It, the, the goal and the hope is it's what do you now know about you that you always knew, but maybe couldn't be mentioned, maybe hadn't come to the surface in some way. I tried to think about how to describe it. It's not like a friend who comes over who's a backdoor friend. It's not that. It's not like um, a movie with a character that reminds you of something. It's not that. It's not heavily focused on who you are and who God is and who you are in relation to God. It's not that. What is it? That's a good question. I Hopefully it's an invitation through hearing someone else share a few things from their life. And it's an invitation for you to see some things about your life in a new, fresh, and different way. That's what it is. I can't beat that. I can't say much or ask much that's going to add to that. But I would like to um, kind of have a PS. If you could choose one of the entries, and you don't need to read it or know it verbatim, but if you could choose one entry of your 40 days with one story that you would want to be representative of the work that you invested do you know what it would be i would say the one piece that is the most representative of 
what I want my work to be and what I want my life to be about and the mission of love and whatever that I want to spread to the world is the entry on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because I, I talk about the difference between the gifts and the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in one of them. And it feels a little preachy <laughs> and it kind of, it feels a little sermony. So hopefully people can kind of get past that. But my, my point that I want to make is we focus on the gifts of life and what we have and what we don't have and what other people have and what we wish we had and what we ought to have and what we ought to pursue and we focus on all the gifts that we have and that other people have to the detriment of just allowing the fruit to grow. Yeah. And the whole message of faith and the whole message of Christianity, I believe, is a message of, hey, hey if, if, you have, if the gifts are there, great. But what's really important is the fruit. Yeah. And for twos... That's part of the journey I hope and think that's affirming for twos is twos, you have spent your life growing fruit from your trees, but the fruit is always to be eaten by other people. And what I hope twos will take is that the fruit's there for you to eat too. The love is there for others and the love is there for you. And the goodness is there for others and is there for you. And all of the fruit of the Spirit is, is what you've spent your life growing. And it's also what you are worthy of receiving. And I hope that comes through too. Because as twos, I haven't always felt like I was worthy of receiving the love that I could give or the mercy that I could offer or the forgiveness that I could offer. It was great for other people, but it wasn't always great for me. Mm -hmm. And I hope that the cumulative effect of this 40-day book and journey for twos will be realizing that the love and the grace is for you too. Your dreams belong and your needs belong and your feeling and goals and journey belongs. And it matters and we need it. Amen. 40 days on being a two. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.